0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films.
1: Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am joined, as always, by Chris Fry, we both of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how you doing?
2: I am doing well. Um, looking forward to talking about the movies today. And you gave me a teaser before we started recording what we're going to be talking about in the news section, and I'm uh, looking forward to that. Look,
1: I'm going to tease it even more for you because <laughs> awesome. this is this is all about teasing this episode. We got cool. some some fun stuff to talk about. We are going to be reviewing two movies in today's episode. Uh, as we talk about new movies and uh, our review discussion uh, format of the show. First up, we will be talking about the latest Marvel blockbuster film, Thor, Love and Thunder, followed by a completely opposite film, a very small, independent film uh, shot and produced in the North Wales area, I believe. It is Brian and Charles. We'll be discussing that film after we discuss Thor. And then, as you mentioned, in the news section of our show, a little later on, we do have a few upcoming production uh, stories about some new movies being made. One of them in particular, I'm anxious to show you, released the trailer. We'll be talking about a new film by Mr. Rob Zombie, a remake of a classic 60s sitcom that many people are familiar with. We'll get to that a little bit later. Also to tease a little bit more, talking about a new film that's been announced by a director I know, Chris, you will be very excited to hear about. Okay. Because um, I know you were a big fan of his last film that happened to win a lot of big awards. Hmm. We'll tease and get to that in a little bit. And then we always end the show with our recommendations. Uh, I'll go ahead and cop up to it. I do not have a true movie recommendation to give this week. You do, Chris. So I'll let you obviously do the honors of a recommendation at the end of the episode, a film that we think people ought to check out. Instead, I'm going to up the ante and throw in one more news item. Nice. And it's kind of come full circle. It is going to be Marvel superhero related, but it is my latest online obsession that I'd like to comment <laughs> on and okay. I can share with you as a news item. So we have a lot to cover in this show. Uh, it's a wide variety of topics and films we're going to be discussing. So let's start off with the one that right now is the current box office champion and is kind of all the rage uh, at the multiplex, but... Did it work for Chris or myself? That's what we're going to be discussing as we do our review of Thor Love and Thunder.
0: Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dead, bod. Of Godbard. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor.
2: Thor. He's an OG Avenger. His standalone films have struggled more than Captain America's or Iron Man's, but he's had better luck than, say, someone like The Hulk. The third Thor film, Thor Ragnarok, was the first to have Taika Waititi at the helm. In Thor Love and Thunder, Waititi returns as director. Hemsworth, of course, returns as Thor. And absent from the MCU for a bit, so does Natalie Portman as Jane Foster. Alan, how did Thor Love and Thunder work for you? And how eager are you to see what Thor's next adventure will be as seemingly promised by the film's conclusion?
1: Right. So <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder. Let's, yes. how, do we, how do we talk about this film? Okay. Um. This is a, I've, I've mentioned over, over the years, Chris, sometimes when we have a review and I'll, I'll kind of own up to it at times and say, look, this was a tough one for me to review. Okay. This falls in that camp. This okay. is a tough one. Um, I was not, I was not the biggest fan of the previous Thor film, which Got was you. directed by Watiki. And, uh, partly because I, I, you know, I, 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 I tend to think of the character of Thor as a, uh, I don't like jokey. Got you. Silly Thor, which is, that's what Ragnarok yeah, pretty much that, was. totally, yeah. And it worked for a lot of people. And look, it was an entertaining movie and I had a fun time with it, but I don't like what it did to the character. I don't like, I didn't like the style of the film for this character. I like Watiki's films. I love hunt for the wilder people. I love Jojo rabbit. There's a lot of his work. I really like, so I'm a fan of him. Right. I'm kind of done with him doing the Marvel movies. Okay. I think he kind of may need to check out after this one. I think he's done his time. We got it. Okay, good. Let's move on. This film, this film is a split movie for me. I I, I can honestly say I did not really get much out of half of the movie Hmm. while I really liked and appreciated the other half of the movie. Um, And it's not even like an even split, like at some point in the movie, it changes. It's, this is a movie that weaves in, just like all the Mar- Marvel movies, it's weaving in many characters and many subplots and storylines. Some of the characters, some of the subplots really worked for me in this film, while some just did not. Mm-hmm. And I think when the film is just trying to be an extension of what the last film was, meaning all color and flash and humor and funny, it didn't work for me. I, mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it. But there's a whole other part of the film. Meaning for me, uh, you mentioned Natalie Portman's character. I think we can talk about her a little bit. Sure. I thought that was an element that worked really well. I think the villain in this character, M1, played by Mr. Christian Bale, worked really well for me. Agreed. And there's a whole section, the last third of the film, Mm -hmm. I think was really strong. So it's a mixed bag. I, I admit, about halfway through the movie, I'm I'm kind of checked out. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm already kind of done with this movie. I really, this is not working for me. And then it starts to find its place. And I wonder if that's not actually something that was kind of intended when they made the film. Is I think that it almost it's almost like they intended to say Thor was trying yeah, to
2: find himself too, right? right. So. so it's like,
1: oh, let's just be funny and silly and kind of have fun with it the first half, but we ultimately want to get it to a place of okay, now this is who Thor is by the end of the film. We want to get there, and it is going to take some more some more drama and more serious moments to get there, and those work for me. So by the end, I was happy. I got you. But it took a while to get there. <laughs> um, so this is a tough one to review because, again, I'd say if you liked Ragnarok, the previous Thor film, I think you're going to like this movie. It carries on a lot of the same elements if you didn't like Ragnarok as much, or maybe just felt over underwhelmed by it, you're going to have a really tough time with this film. But I do think there are some rewards in there to gain come the end. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a fairly vague review from me, Chris, but I am anxious to hear your thoughts because you are, you were more of a fan of Ragnarok in the style that, that Watiki gave there than I think I was. And I know you were, a little more optimistic about this particular film just because of the director and all. Right? So I'm curious, what, what's your thoughts on this? So,
2: okay. And this is the rare instance because, you know, you and I are trying to watch so many different films, just ones we review for the show that it is not often that I go back and mm. watch films in prep for a new film, especially the MCU. If you did that every time an MCU film came out, there's so many of them. Now you could never like, you'd That'd have to be
1: pretty much your job, right? Yeah. Just watching them all mm-hmm. over again
2: before you watch it. But my wife, Asked, she's like, hey, before the new one comes out, can we go back and watch the first two Thor's? Because she'd completely forgotten about who Jane Foster was. I mean, she mm-hmm. knew, but she's like, yeah, I don't really remember. I was like, yeah, sure. So we went back and we ended up only being able to watch the first two. But I'm kind of glad um, because those were the first two without Taika Waititi. They did both have Jane Foster in them. And the tone, although I remember liking them okay, a lot of people are really hard on the second film. Um, but to me, Thor's character is just so hard to kind of make work because it has all this mythology and it's really serious and there's all this like random stuff going on, and it just doesn't i mean also it just somehow it just seems very complicated and can get kind of stayed and boring for yeah. me, and that's why originally. When Taika Waititi came, and Chris Hemsworth, as revealed to the Avenger films, he does have a little bit of humor in the first two, but when it gets to be the Avenger films, they really do kind of use him as comic relief. And I like that because I think he's got really good comic timing. He's funny. Ragnarok just let him and Taika Waititi totally run wild. But it worked for me because at that point, I'd kind of gotten weary of the, the superhero formula. And I felt like that one was really different, and I was looking for something really different. So I did really like that film. Now we come to Thor and Love and Thunder. I was excited about it, but within the first five or 10 minutes, I felt like it was basically kind of a rinse and repeat of Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And that really disappointed me. Not that I still wanted it to be funny, but I wanted there to be some kind of substantial story. Now, like you say, kind of towards the last third, things kind of kick in and get serious. Then that kind of, that does work for me. And overall, like like you're saying, the characters of the God Butcher, is that his official yes, title? Gore. Or, gore, yeah. Gore, okay. Jane Foster and Gore, when they're working and being dealt with, then that's when the movie really works. Agreed. Otherwise, a lot of the other stuff is just stupid silliness. I actually felt like, even though I appreciated him in Ragnarok, Korg,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I felt like... Korg was becoming more of a central character, which bothered me because that's Taika Waititi. He not only directed this, but he helped write it. He was one of the two writers, I think. Credit. So it's like, I don't know. I felt like it was putting himself in the yeah. movie too much, mm-hmm. and it didn't really work. And you know, the movie's not Korg and Thor; it's Thor. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of bothered me. So yeah, there were a lot of distractions for me, um, and I, I feel like too, you know, if you want to. I like Waititi, but if you want to make a comedy, make a comedy. And th- this this was like trying to be an action movie, trying to be serious. And actually, <laughs> when they first introduced Jane Foster and some of her struggles that she's going through, and I thought the solution was going to be, oh, just have him be a superhero. That bothered me mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, if we could all just become a superhero right. sure. and shrug off. Yeah you know, illness, right? That really, but the way it ended up being handled, yes. I was like, okay. So it, it, made,
1: it worked by the, yeah, end, I guess yeah. I
2: just, I didn't I wasn't trusting <laughs> YTD enough, but it, it did bother me initially. Cause I'm like, that's, that's not cool. Um, so I think you and I are kind of on the same place, which for me was a letdown because my expectations were higher because I did appreciate Ragnarok so much. Um, enough of this film work that if you like Marvel movies, I think you'll still have a, a decent time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you were annoyed by Ragnarok, then you're going to be, oh, I yeah. think, annoyed you're by this one. Well, I times went in more. with
1: much more uh, pessimistic view, just because I was afraid it was just going to be a a copy of Ragnarok's style and tone, and that's why I came out actually probably a little happier than I expected okay. to be. I'm still not saying this is a great film. I, I, I do think there's a lot of issues with it, and it really is all centered around the tone. I, I think it's just. I'm okay with films having multiple tones and taking tone shifts for reasons, but the the, the storyline of Jane Foster I thought was really good. I did too. Again, the villain played by Christian Bale Would the villain have worked if it was somebody else performing, playing him. I don't know, maybe, but his performance really sealed it for him, for me that I just loved every moment he was on, on screen.
2: And I think um, I agree. And I think in a weird way, some of the baggage that, Christian Bale brings with him yeah. kind of like the torture and like having all these like there's a little bit of that. That that kind of works. Well, and just you role. know,
1: you know the fact that Christian Bale will really put himself in his roles, especially physically, <laughs> yeah, with you know how he looks and he looked I love the fact that they didn't have to CGI anything, it looks mm-hmm. like, with him. He honestly made himself a really haunting, scary looking person and right. it worked. Um so all of that was great. Yeah, I think all the stuff with Korg as kind of the comic sidekick is too much. hmm Uh, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. I like her as an actress, and I think her character is interesting. But in this film, she was also just comic relief, it felt like. And it's just like, there's a moment in the film. I think when it gets to the point where, and I'm okay, I guess, to say this, because I think they're showing it in the trailers now. Russell Crowe appears (sighs) as Zeus. That's about the point in the film where I said, all right, I think I'm done. (laughs) I I think this is too much for me. Yes, yes. That whole bit. And like thor and his his team kind of having to sneak into this thing and it's just all comic relief it's like it a was, screwball it was comedy so type bad that doesn't and just yeah, i didn't work for me either. at that point i was kind of done. i understand I, but luckily shortly after that sequence is when things started to get a little more interesting and luckily it saved itself but man at that point and if i hear a goat goat noise one more time it was funny the first few times but for anybody who watched the film goats play a, a extraordinarily large part of the film <laughs> more than i expected it was a funny moment in the beginning of the film that just continued on through the film again it was one of those watiki touches it's like oh hey this will be funny to just kind of keep bringing, bringing these these goats back in and the noises that they make and uh I was about checked out at that point. Right. But, um, yeah, it because was... I think they had just taken it to a whole nother level of camp that I did not need in this film. And, uh, I mean, when Russell Crowe is wearing a Zeus outfit and kind of stepping down steps and almost like holding his, his gown, almost like a dress and it, right. just all for just trying to be funny. And right. it was just, it was painful to watch. I thought. So, uh, but I mean, but do you get to the point where they have the whole black and white shadow creature sequence towards the end, which I thought was really creative and well done the whole sequence with, uh, with Christian Bale as Gore kind of tormenting the main characters in that black and white world. And right. right? it was like, okay, this is good. This is like, I'm totally enjoying this now. Um, when I think, from that point on, I think it found it, if that was the intention of the film is to kind of get you in this light feel and then. Flip a switch, kind of like what, T- what Tiki did with Jojo Rabbit, if you remember. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit was playful; it was playful for the first two thirds, and then it switched, and yeah. it became a very different type of toned film. It worked in that case. It didn't work as successfully here, but it was close. It was the tone shift was enough for me to come out of this saying, "Oh, okay, this was this redeemed itself by the end of the film." I well, felt you know, like
2: you're, you're convincing me almost through saying why it didn't work. <laughs> you're making me have a better feel on the film i think okay. yeah it just it just took on too much yeah, because it was the jane foster time or story thor's maturity story then you have the god butcher story then you have the guardians of the galaxy which were completely wasted oh, yeah, like that was, just that was that
1: whole bit did not work dumb. at all at the beginning either and then um
2: and then you have the russell crow and like yeah. that kind of blending of mythologies thing and it just it was trying to do well, too much even I mean, on top
1: of that i mean the whole concept of Asgard, which is like the home of Thor and all that. Right. If, for those who maybe hadn't seen all the Marvel movies, I mean, that world was destroyed. Right. And so now Asgard is technically like almost like a tourist trap place on Earth. Right. And there's some interesting storylines there because Valkyrie, the character is like the president of of Asgard or king of Asgard. And you get little hints of some interesting dynamics about her place in this world and what she wants, but they don't really explore that because it's, they've got so much they're trying to do. And then to put such a comic sheen over everything for so much of the film, it's just, it was, it was disappointing.
2: Well, and something else that I kind of want, there's another thread that kind of ran through it is, um, a director making a movie for his children Mm -hmm. and kind of like making a version of a never ending story in the Marvel cinematic universe. And having your own kids in it. Because from what I understand, why kids are in it, I think, or maybe at least one of them is, I think some of Bale's children are in it, Hemsworth children, some of well, Hemsworth children are in it. And you know
1: that the the young girl mainly that Hemsworth's? that's Hemsworth's kid. Okay. it mm-hmm. doesn't surprise
2: me. So yeah. we won't ruin what that is, but yeah. yeah. So I think in a way that kind of and I understand like I understand directors and actors, they're like you know they make a lot of movies their kids are always like, oh they want to be in a movie for their kids to see that they'll appreciate but then the step of actually putting your kids in there which they have this whole thing where that's the deal is the kids from New Asgard are kidnapped mm. by Gore and he holds them as hostage and everything um but in a way they that's another tone because you're dealing with kids that is trying to be managed amidst all this other stuff and i'll I'll have to I'll have to say um so the um the word for excrement is kind of a plot point. The the profane use of mm-hmm. saying excrement is kind of a plot point in that they keep using this certain phrase and they say it a lot. I don't know the Disney movie that has said the that profane word for excrement mm-hmm. um as much as this film has. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it just real I was like, wow. I mean, you know, they say it once or twice, yeah, I understand it. You know, PG 13, that's how you do stuff. But then for it to keep being brought back to you, specifically, mm. Thor says like, "I want to feel this way," yeah, yeah. and you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, and it just—I don't know—that kind of surprised me. I was sitting there thinking, "Oh, wow, yeah, that's impressive." But right. I will
1: admit that line and that moment towards the end was was it, good. No, it I worked. It. I mean, yeah, but you're, I agree with you on the the use of the profanity, which was kind of—it was just—it was a little which odd. Again,
2: it's kind of odd because it's really making a yeah. joke out of. So it's the whole tone management. So. I will say
1: you mentioned the kids. What could have been an a really eye roll groaning moment in the latter sequence of the film mm-hmm. involving a lot of kids, yes, I actually thought was good,
2: I thought yeah, and that I think that shows, yeah why t d, like he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and it's just maybe maybe it's a second viewing that will make me appreciate this more, yeah, but. Um, yeah, at the end, the way the kids are used, it's like, okay, and it mm-hmm. could have been an art, but it, I was oh, like, nope, it could have been so kinda, bad. That kind of makes sense. Well, it's, like,
1: it was done with a more, I don't, I don't want to say it was like a more serious tone, but it was a more emotional tone yeah. to it. I mean, you really felt like, okay, this is the way they're going to win is to do this and it worked. So again by that per- final third of the film I'm I'm kind of digging it. I'm like I'm liking all the choices they're making in that final 30 40 minutes of the film. Right. I just hate you kind of had to go through an hour and a half of I just felt like a lot of slog and a lot of just things that did not work. Even the humor at times just did not did not work. I mean, the jokes it'd be different if all the jokes and all the funny moments were funny, but I felt like sometimes they were really really groan inducing. They were, they were not, they just didn't work all the time. So it was disappointing there. Um, So it's a mixed bag for me on this movie, Chris, I'm going to say overall, I came out better than I expected, but my expectations were pretty low going in. So that's not saying a lot. (laughs) Um, Can I ask you a couple of questions uh, outside of the main elements of this film? I do want to ask you about visually your thoughts on the film, because I thought this film looked horrible, like for the most part. My understanding is this film was one that was shot almost entirely.
2: On green screen? Used,
1: not, no, not green screen. The volume, which is the same technology they use in the Mandalorian show. Uh, where they're on a st- sound stage, they're surrounded by a projection screen. So the actors are seeing actual scenery around them. They're seeing like the environment they're in. But it's still, quote, green screen technology and that right. they're not actually there. Got you. Um, they don't have a set. It's a virtual set. That's right. Set. Got now, you. My understanding is actors really appreciate this more, obviously more than green screen, because you're actually seeing, seeing an environment stuff. around them they can respond to. But man, I just there's been a lot of news lately of uh, people that are uh, VS, uh, visual effects artists for Marvel saying that Marvel's timelines and and hastiness and putting together like allowing the visual effects team to work has really soured a lot of them on on working for Marvel. And a lot of people are saying this film is an example of that. It was like a rush timeline and using this the volume technology and not giving, not doing it well. Hmm. I agree. I thought half the scenes. I just thought looked. They were just the shots were washed out. The backgrounds just never looked like like they were there. It looked like they were on a on a soundstage. Like half the film. Hmm. Um, I personally really thought it looked pretty bad. Hmm. So that was just a. My take. It. I didn't really read a lot about it going into it. I just thought, even during the film, I'm going over to my son's like, I, this is a really weird, bad looking film. And then I read up about it afterwards. And I'm like, gotcha. ah, yeah, okay, there's something to it.
2: I, I guess that it helps. I didn't really pay that much of attention to it, but I will say I didn't think of these scenes look necessarily cool. Like I thought the one where they go to Olympus or wherever where they meet, like I thought that looked dumb oh, and yeah. terrible. And some of the other stuff, But a lot of times because they're doing such such bright, flashy, kind of unrealistic mm. areas as well. Like I don't pay as much, att- but I would not say it looked good. I would just say I didn't yeah. really care for the aesthetics. So I wasn't really paying attention to whether I thought it yeah, was I just, well done or not. I do feel so, like
1: it, it was a very poor looking film I for such you. a budget. And even there are some people putting memes up online to show. Uh, I think I saw one that compared this to like the Green Knight you know, the oh, David Lowry film. Wow. And showing, like, hey, here's a $20 million film, The Green Knight, and the visual effects they used. Here's a $200 million film with Thor, and comparing. And you look at it, it's like, yeah, it's. This looks terrible. It does. Well, so. And
2: I remember, too, I'll just say before I move on on that point, I remember, and it didn't bother me, but I can see people who pay attention to that kind of stuff saying, and now that you bring up The Green Knight, yes, I can see that um, before the film came out, I saw people calling out specifically Natalie Portman's like headpiece or whatever her mouth And like people were complaining cause they're like, yeah, they didn't even buy bo- that's CG. They didn't even bother to put a real one on her face at that point. They just made it CGI. And like, you know, that's just, that's just terrible. And it doesn't look good. And then the, the blowback was, well, yeah, the artists don't have enough time. They're mm-hmm. not being given all this stuff to do. So yeah, maybe, maybe something will come of that. I will say, um, I'll say, uh, I'll say another negative I had and then I'll end on a positive. (laughs)
1: Okay. That's fine. I got one more negative, Um, but yeah. Okay.
2: So the negative, we've already mentioned uh, the Russell Crowe character. And I know by now it's like Marvel movies have to have credit sequences. Your,
1: your negative is the same as mine, but the the credit,
2: the credit little scene of Russell Crowe like talking again. And then like the introduction of maybe something now I will give, okay. I thought that was like eye rolling grunting. Now, if that is nothing but a red herring, that's amazing, and I'll say oh, that that's not. one of the best. That's one of the best things that Taika Waititi ever done is throw that red herring in there. That has nothing to do with anything. Well, that
1: wasn't Taika Waititi. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't think he did. The be end the
2: direct- oh, yeah, because a lot of times the directors, they'll do. Sometimes well, they bring. It that that was they a Marvel
1: so. mandated. You're right. The end credits. I, I'm to the point now. As much as I'm, I am much more of a Marvel. Cinematic Universe fan than, than you are. And I give them a lot more leeway on things. Sure. And I've been defending a lot more of their films over the years. <laughs> I will say, okay, yeah, we're getting to the point now where the end credits are just kind of getting really bad. And I feel like every end credit sequence now is just, okay, um, talk to somebody off camera and then pan over to show new character on camera. Yeah. And that's it. Gotcha. Uh, if you recall um, in the movie, the Eternals, Yes. which I thought was good. I enjoyed the Eternals. I thought it was a pretty decent movie. Um, but then you get to the end credits and I think they introduced a uh,
2: guardians of the galaxy character, right? Or the one that, no, will be in that movie. Well, no?
1: well, don't really. I mean, they introduced uh, it's the Harry Styles playing right, uh, right, character. Right. And again, I don't know when that person's going to show up. I don't know if he's actually going to be in a movie, but again, it was that same idea. It's like, the same concept of, well, we have to introduce a new character. Gotcha. And I feel like that's more of a mandate now than it is like a creative decision that Keep works. Keep
2: people excited about something yeah. that's going to be down the It
1: rest. used to be these these credit sequences were fun because I felt like they were kind of letting you know where the storylines were going. I don't feel like they're doing that anymore. I because feel like they seemed
2: like they would always somehow tease the um, yes. Infinity Stone. What was the thing called when it was a big blue block? I don't remember.
1: The, yeah, I don't remember either. But I mean, was, you know, it started building, it right. built, built to something where you're right. like, it builds anticipation. Now it's just like, oh, what character are they going to introduce that we may or may not ever see again? And that that's disappointing. So I felt like these crap sequences. Well, you have that one. And then there's a second one with Natalie Portman in it that I think was probably the worst use of the visual effect <laughs> I've ever seen, I where see. honestly, it looks like Natalie Portman just stepped onto a soundstage to deliver her line and then and cut. God. It was like, it was, yeah, yeah, these credit sequences are really not, not working anymore. I don't think the way Marvel had intended them to starting out. So. We knew
2: it's what's interesting to me too. I started thinking about, it, especially I, I was shocked when they said Thor will return. That was, I was like, seriously, because you know, Captain America has been mm-hmm. put to bed, you know, the original, I know yeah. they're going to have any, but you know, the, the, the Steve original. Rogers the, the, has yeah, been transitioned. Yeah, yeah. Chris Evans has, you know, stepped away. Iron Man. Well, we yep. know what happened? So I thought surely this being the fourth Thor movie, this would kind of be his like curtain call, you know, or they would transition to, you know, we see Natalie Portman kind of, I guess technically costume. that is a
1: spoiler you're rolling out there, by the way. So that what? Thor will return.
2: Oh, well, yeah. yeah Thor okay. doesn't die. <laughs> All right. Spoiler. Sorry um, about that. <laughs> but, I just, I don't know. I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think the press had been too, which, well, yeah.
1: The they, ending of the film overall, I think where it leaves it was a nice surprise for me. And actually even like the last little quick moment, even like kind of the reveal, of the, the, the return to the title, it's kind of a nice,
2: hmm. had a nice mean, moment to it. The meaning of it. the title. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah sure.
1: Had a nice moment to it. So again, by the end of the film, it had redeemed a good share of the things I was already uh, discrediting it for. It kind of earned back a good por- a short portion of that, but um, it's still it's a problematic film. I think it's a problematic depiction of the character. I think by the end of the film, they kind of start to realize who they need to let this Thor character be. I got you. Now you're saying we're probably going along too, too long on this, but it's all good. <laughs> you mentioned having watched rewatched the original films. Yes. See, two. to me, the characterization of that Hemsworth plays of Thor in the very first movie mm-hmm. was was spot on. Okay. Because it is he is a noble warrior, he's all this lineage, but he's a fish out of water. And that's where the comedy comes in, is that he doesn't know how to relate to people that are not from his world. Gotcha. That's where the humor comes in and works. I think Hemsworth is really good in it, but he's still a heroic character. He's not a goofball. He's not a doofus. Right. <laughs> You get to the second movie and I think they just went way too deep into the noble warrior and there's very little humor and it just, it doesn't have as much personality. But then they went Ragnarok. They went completely the other direction and he is now a goofball and doofus and the dumbest person in the room. (laughs) Anytime he walks in the room. And that's the part I hate it. It's like, it was such whiplash with the character. This one starts to mediate it a little bit by the end. I feel like they've kind of got him back to a, a decent spot which i'm okay with but hmm. um that's been my issues i think thor's been the most problematic character in the films for marvel to deal with just because of tone and who this character is um every other character i feel like they've had a a a, a storyline like they knew where the character was going to go sure and they pe- went down that path this one it's kind of been all over the place so
2: so my last closing comment yep. will be a positive okay, and it will actually give some credit, I guess. I mean, I guess it's in the script, but also I thought the way they characterized it in the film, the visual effects I thought actually worked for me. Okay. And it was the, um, the fracturing of, I'm not going to bother to try to say the Norse name of the hammer, but the hammer and kind of the effect that it's like shattered oh, and it Mulchinger. comes together. Yep. Yeah. And how it comes together. And then at the end, that kind of, during that battle scene that you're talking about mm-hmm. with gore and everything, it has an impact there. And it, I, I thought that was kind of, neat, I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was like, instead of just being, you know, thrown and retrieved the same way that Thor would do it. She does, or, um, Natalie Portman's character, Jane Foster does that, but then it has an extra little kind of twist to it. And I, th- yeah. I thought that was, neat.
1: well, again, it was another element in that last third of the film or last 30 minutes of the film that I think we, you know, was really well done. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think you summed it up pretty good earlier. If you were a fan of Ragnarok, yes, this is going to be a continuation. If uh, you were not a fan of that movie, it is going to be a tough, tougher watch. But I will say it, it does have some redeeming qualities by the end that make it at least for me a, a gentle slight recommendation, I guess. Um,
2: <laughs> slight recommendation. Slight
1: recommendation. I slightly recommend this film. <laughs> If that that even works,
2: I I think yeah, I think that's probably what I would also say. Okay, all right, equal on it.
1: Well, that is Thor: Love and Thunder still out right now, uh, the latest Marvel movie. Um, I think the next Marvel film to come out after this one is. Is
2: it the Black Panther? Might be
1: Black Panther this fall, uh, this winter. I think it's this. I thought it was this winter, this like December, but could be wrong. I think that is the next one, kind of queued up at this point. So okay. Chris let's move on to our second review which is a very very different type of film Uh, it is a a small independent film called Brian and Charles
0: my name's Brian this is my infamous inventions pantry it's actually a cow shed things went a bit topsy-turvy in my life I was very alone ah fiddlesticks that's when I just started making stuff
1: in the film Brian and Charles, we follow the story of Brian, uh, who we learn early on has gone into uh, somewhat of a depression. Um, he lives in North Wales. Uh, he's very much a, a loner, uh, kind of, a, but also a very creative mind, inventive mind. So he's isolated, doesn't really have anybody to interact with. So he does uh, what uh, can be seen as a little bit of an extreme situation, but uh, he does it, and it carries the plot forward. He builds a robot, Uh, builds a robot out of parts he just has around the house. (laughs) Um, The robot, again, the, the conceit of the film is not to understand how or why the robot works. But you have a robot that has its own personality. There's a friendship that develops and then a plot ensues from there between these two. Now, Chris, a couple of interesting things about this film. Yes. It is shot and portrayed as a, quote, documentary. Okay. Um, sure. kind of this whole idea of a mockumentary where right. it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not a documentary. This, this individual really did not build a robot, but it's shot in a way, much like the office, much like some of the Christopher guest films, you know, this idea that it's supposed to look like a documentary, but yet it's, you know, with people turning to the camera, almost like they're being interviewed, talking to the cameraman behind the camera, that kind of conceit. Um you have that going for it. And then you also have the fact that this was based off of a short film, a short film that was played at South by Southwest, I think back in 2017 and then got turned now into a feature length film. So Chris, um, over the years we've been doing this film society for how long now? Uh,
2: 2008 since we've been doing this. So 14 society. years. Yeah. 14 wow. years. Quick math. Good yep.
1: job. <laughs> Every year there's typically, I'd say maybe three or four films that, kind of grab our attention and become some of our like the ones that we really kind of say, Oh, we really want to bring this one to the film society. This is one we're kind of excited about. We've seen it. We, we, we we've, uh, we got it. you and I are both on board to kind of wanting to bring it and show it to our audiences. So it's one that we feel like not only would work for our audience, but we personally just really are anxious to see it. Sure. And this kind of hit that, that crossroads where it's like, we saw this, we're like, Ooh, this looks like it could be a good one for our audience. We think the audiences will enjoy it. And you and I is the type of film that we would ourselves enjoy as well. So that's, a, that's a nice bit. So given all that setup, Chris, mm-hmm. did that fit that description? Meaning both you personally, but also how did this work for audiences? Is this, you know, what, because I, I do think this is a, a rare instance of an independent film that I mean, you look at the rating, it's rated PG. It's a very general kind of audience acceptance, uh, it is a fairly simple film, but um, has some emotion woven in. So I'm just curious from your thought, how did, how did it work for you given all that setup I just
2: gave you? Well, yeah, it, the film did work for me and I, I think I'm um, going in, you, we had previewed the trailer on a trailer top of segment on a previous show. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit um, the opening and how it's structured. You mentioned kind of the mockumentary style, like it's an extremely low key, like Christopher Guest joint. It's not, but it's like kind of that feel, um, dead pan humor, not fast paced, not jokes every like five seconds. It's very kind of deliberate. I could see some people not responding to that or mm-hmm. some people being tired of the mockumentary setup. Mm-hmm. They said like, we've seen that enough in the office. We don't need a movie following that same formula. Um, but what was, what kind of worked for me was, It also had a low key sci-fi element to it, but it was a comedy. So it didn't, it didn't worry about, okay, how does this guy actually (laughs) create this robot? Like it acknowledges like, yes, this is a dude wearing a costume and he's not really robot. but it, you know, it, it just says, yep, this is a robot now. Um, there are mentions of like eating cabbages and it's like the robot eats, but you can tell the robot doesn't have a mouth of Mm -hmm. which food could go into it they're not concerned about that. They Mm -hmm. don't worry about the reality of things. They just say, this is a world that we're creating. And if it's, if you kind of have an uneasy feeling in that first, you know, 20 minutes or so, you're probably not going to be on the film's wavelength and there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. But if you can get on the film's wavelength, I think there's plenty there to actually kind of chew on. And this is one of those films that I liked it. And through the discussion that we had with the film society afterwards, we kept kind of digging a little deeper into some things and it was like, huh, I had not thought of that. And you know, so it kind of presented more and more things to think about. So I did like it. Um, and I think it's the type of film that, you know, will have some, some champions that you know have found it because it's not a widely distributed film. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was my overall take before I go on and on about it. Alan, what was your, what was your thought on it?
1: Um, I think I'm, I'm mostly on board with you. I I, I I, probably came away from this film just feeling a little more slighted by mm-hmm. it. I just feel like it just didn't do or go as I hoped or it had the potential to do. Hmm. It was kept extremely simple and slight. And that's okay. I mean, that's fine. At the end of the day, I'm okay with a film that doesn't really do a lot. It takes a very simple premise, a very, very simple story, and does – Fairly little with it. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a. I mean, you know, you look at the time. It's an hour and a half long film. It's not as super long. It's fine. Right. I can definitely get the feel that this was a very, very effective short film. Very kind of engaging, funny short film. Okay, that did get brought out to an hour and a half long, and having to weave a somewhat of a storyline in it. Because you know, about halfway through the film, I'm just like, okay, I, I don't really know what the plot is, and that's fine. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I need one, but. There's, there doesn't appear to be one. A little semblance of a plot did start to evolve in the latter half and it was fine. It's a very enjoyable film. Like I had a, I had a fine time watching it, but I do think it's, it's a, it's a very simple, slight film. And unfortunately we, we as movie going audiences, I think have had a tough time going into a film and realizing that, it is simple and slight because I think we have audiences have kind of gotten to a point now where we've been expected to believe a film is always going to do a big narrative structure and there's going to be a lot happening and there's going to be plots and characters. And I'm not saying this. Um, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm not saying that that's, you know, a problem with this film. I like the fact that it actually fights against that and said, like, Nope, we're just going to do a super simple film with super simple characters. Um, a very, very simple plot. I mean, it really is. And, My issue with the film, honestly, is I just don't think the mockumentary format was needed. And I think it's actually somewhat distracting from the film. I think the film works fine without that conceit. And I think actually about halfway through the film, they kind of forget about the conceit. They kind of drop it. They drop it. So I mean, I think they even realized, hey, look, this was kind of a something we can do to kind of make it a little more interesting or quirky of a film, but it didn't need it. And I think the latter half of the film showed that you didn't need it. Um, it worked fine on its own without that. So that, um, you know, and then I get a question too. I mean, if you took away that quirky style format that they tried to introduce and you take away like things like the design of the robot, which was a very <laughs> low tech kind of that independent uh, film nature quirkiness to it. Sure. You take away some of those elements. Are you, Are you left with anything much more than – short circuit back in 1986 or whatever, 88 or whatever year that movie came out, the same kind of idea. I don't know. Uh, it was charming so would, enough. Would say, it was engaging. I would say enough. yes. Okay, <laughs> sure. And I'd be anxious to hear kind of why, because yeah. I mean, you know, if you strip out some of these elements, like the mockumentary style and the, the visual appearance of the robot, and I'm, I, you know, again, I'm not sliding the film. I'm just saying it was a fine, enjoyable film, but uh, was there much more there beyond some of those, um, uh, the, 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 format they chose to present the film in and the actual look and style of the robot. What was beyond that? So I'm, yeah, so I'm anxious to hear some other thoughts from you.
2: So, um, the mockumentary style, I think I didn't realize this going in, but then doing research and talking with the audience afterwards, um, David Earl, who is, um, who plays Brian and who co-wrote the film with the guy who played Charles the robot, Chris Hayward? They uh, they wrote the original and acted in the original short sure, as yeah. well. David Earl is apparently cohorts or friends with Ricky Gervais, who did yes. the British Office. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm imagining, although I haven't seen the short, that the short probably was nothing but like a ten thirteen minute little mockumentary. Mm-hmm. So when they broaden it out to the film, I see how they wanted to bring some of that. But then, like you're saying, they do kind of ditch it. And I think that's good, because what happened after they ditched it is, for me, I thought they were going to do – that's why, for me, there was a lot more in this film. There's a – I think it's going to be a Frankenstein take of this guy has created something without any forethought as far as what am I going to do if it works – And then there's challenges of, I've got to hide it. I've got to protect it. It's trying to do its own thing. I can't let it do that, or I don't want to let it do that. Mm -hmm. So it kind of became, I thought at first, like a Frankenstein narrative. (laughs) Then it shifts. Well, and then with that, at the same time, which I think is ultimately where the film lands is about, it's a tale of loneliness Mm -hmm. and attempts to go to a great length to counteract the loneliness, build a robot. When there was a chance for him to establish a relationship prior to that, but it took something to kind of force him into that relationship Mm -hmm. because there's a, um, he develops a relationship with Hazel, who's a woman who lives in the town who he knows, but he's always been hesitant. And then, um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Um, So yeah, loneliness, kind of a Frankenstein story or a Frankenstein-like corollary, then there's an interesting thing around bullying, mm-hmm. which um, that's where you're saying it kind of latches on a little bit, and that kind of becomes a theme as well. And bullying and how everyone is can be complicit in the bullying mm-hmm. and doesn't, you know, lets the bullying continue. And then at some moment it takes one person to stand up. And pleasantly, because this was not a Hollywood production, when the standoff happens, I was expecting it to be this big thing, get kind of violent, even though it's a PG movie, but yeah, I'd forgotten that at that mm-hmm. point, thought it was going to be like a really, you know, intense or not intense, but like mm. a fight. Oh, yeah. And no, instead never... it, something presents itself and it's over and done with in a flash yeah. and resolved in a very satisfactory way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate that. And then without spoiling anything, <laughs> Um, one of my favorite things, and I kind of, because by this point, by the end of the film, I have bought into what this film was doing. It's not a mockumentary. It's not a true science fiction thing where things could possibly happen this way. They don't mm-hmm. care about oh, that. Yeah, they don't sure. care about whether the robot eats or not. You know. <laughs> um, but at the end, the last scene with Charles and kind of where he is going, going forward, um, I like how they just kind of threw it out there. And for yeah. me, it really worked because it was just, I don't know. I thought it was a really, a really nice last thing. I don't want to spoil Mm -hmm. anything about it, but so for me, there was a lot more in the film than um, may have appeared on the surface, but you have to get past some of the other stuff to kind of, you know, be willing to dig in and something I'll say as well, Hazel's mom's house, which Brian goes to at one point, Um, they make a point of showing like this sign by the door, which I just assumed was this Hazel's like last name or her mom's last name. And it's really quick and you don't see it for very long, but it looks like it says, which Mm. (laughs) it looks like it says, which, and they kind of focus on it when you go in. And then he has this experience with the mom being very stern Mm -hmm. and he comes out and they show it again. And I'm like, what is up with that? Well, because somebody in our audience got on their phone. They said, well, yeah, it's a some type of, um, not Norse language, but something like that. It doesn't have any vowels in it. So mm-hmm. that's why it looked like witch. But instead of saying witch, what it actually means is a term, uh, a bracing hug that gives comfort. So mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting that Hazel was in that house. So there's, like, there's some layers there that don't, I don't know. It's like the more you dig into it, the more you can kind of appreciate it. So. Right. Okay. So I I seem to have appreciated it more than you did. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, again, like I thought it was a I thought it was a fine film. I, right. I Chris doing this podcast forces me to be a reviewer, ah. and yes, as sometimes. a reviewer, I can pick this film apart and be like, okay, yeah. If I strip away the quirkiness that I feel like is kind of added to it, just to give it some personality, yeah. Even 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 the description you gave of all the themes and things it covers, uh, yeah. 80% of that is short circuit from the 1980s. I, so I, that's my reviewer hat sitting there and I'm saying, all Without right. out
2: the Indian stereotype, that's offensive. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, great. There's no
1: offensive stereotypes right.
2: here, which is good.
1: Um, but as a film goer who enjoys watching films of all types, yes, this is a, this is a fine film. This is good. This is enjoyable. I liked it. It was, it was, it was fun to watch for mm-hmm. 90 minutes. As a reviewer, I'm like, I, I just felt like, I I sometimes I'm disappointed when films don't just let – they feel the need to add something to the film to give it a certain level of quirkiness or unique personality that's not always needed. And I think the mockumentary style format, I think just really kind of – it disappointed me because it didn't add anything to the film. And I felt like it was there just to be able to say, hey, we made something a little different. When it didn't really add anything to the story, so it was a little disappointing for me, hmm. other than that it's just a, such a simple little film again, very enjoyable just uh not um, in fact there was a lot there if you start to strip away some of the things hmm. on the surface but again, as a reviewer i'm in a I'm being a little more salty than than maybe <laughs> normal as a film goer, yes, right. I enjoyed this film this is a fun film this is a good watch um, Well,
2: some, something that Something that stood out to me as well. And I'm glad that we have previously on this episode talked about Thor Love and Thunder. To me, when we originally watched this trailer, I thought Taika, cause you know, it was a trailer we were watching on a laptop screen. I wasn't really like, I couldn't really see the people's faces really clearly. I thought Taika Waititi was playing Brian, the Brian Earl character, because the type of delivery and the dead pan, the sense of humor to me seemed like an early Taika Waititi film. Well,
1: like what we do in the shadows. Yep. Cause and that then, was a Taika Waititi film that. Correct. Definitely this, the mockumentary style, I think worked for that one. Right. So yeah. And then,
2: um, <laughs> yeah. And then I thought Jim Broadbent was the voice of Charles yeah. and it wasn't, it was Chris. Hayward, it you know. The robot
1: kind of looks like him. Right. And yeah, I, yeah,
2: I think it does. So, um, so I think to me, what was pleasant about this movie after cause I'd seen love and thunder prior to watching this film. It kind of reminded me of the early films you mentioned hunt for the wilder people by Taika Waititi. It reminded me of boy, another film by Taika Waititi that isn't trying to achieve these grand themes. It's yeah. not trying to have mm-hmm. a huge plot. Mm-hmm. It's an indie comedy with kind of some deadpan humor and I was like, yes, this is like, I would have thought this is the t-. So it was nice to see a film like that. And it was, it, they're getting an interesting pairing with Thor and love and thunder because that's why just totally going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so this isn't his film, but it reminded me what I liked yeah. about his early films. So
1: I will say, I, I always appreciate seeing an independent film that wears its independence on its sleeve mm. And I also really admire an independent film these days because, believe me, you and I see enough of them throughout the years with our film festival and screening process. I like to see an independent film that isn't afraid to say, no, we don't have to go and be dark or violent or uh, language or graphic in any way. It's like, no, we're going to keep this super simple, super friendly, super... it was so nice last night at the screening, Chris, people were coming into the screening and I had like seriously four people, different mm-hmm. ones all come say, all right, so this is going to be like, this isn't going to be dark. There's not going <laughs> to be anything <laughs> like disturbing sure, with this film. Sure. I'm like I said, I haven't seen it, but I feel pretty confident in saying, I think you are going to be okay. Well, And, and I, yeah. that was, it was nice because you're right. There were moments in the film. I'm like, okay, if this were a typical new independent type film, this is where it's going to get edgy or yep. it's going to get dark. And yep. it didn't. And I'm like, that was nice. So I will give it that for sure. That was that was that was to me probably the strongest thing of the film was that it was not afraid to be kind of dorky yeah. and kind of yeah. s- just silly for no, you know for for silly sake and didn't feel the need to have to go even when it got into a sense of the theme of bullying and kind of loneliness it never went to the point where you Felt it was trying to teach a lesson, or trying to get really profound about it, or really edgy about it. It just, it just let it play out as a nice, simple story. So, I, I, would get a lot of kudos for that. So, cool. All right. So, yeah, look, I'm positive on the film. <laughs> I really am. I'm maybe I'm just being a little more edgy on all these reviews today. I'm going to definitely get edgy when we get to the news here in a minute well, on if the we first were item.
2: Both- we were on the same page with Thor. So it sounds like I'm a, I'm more positive on this one. So it's good that yeah. we're just not. It'd be boring if we always had the exact yeah. same I, reaction. So. I,
1: I like this film. <laughs> but I, I just. Anybody going in for looking for something more, more interesting, more, more profound, more. Kind, it's more not like, yeah, it's true. It's, it's not like it's not a roll out loud, no. like, you know, laugh a minute thing either. No. It's a very simple, quaint little film that has some nice moments. And you know, overall I more admire the, I admire the spirit of the film sure. than I do maybe the actual film itself. Gotcha. So, okay. All right. Well that is Brian and Charles. I don't know where you're going to see this film. Uh, it's pretty small release schedule and, uh, yeah, we, we were lucky to show it for our film society screening this month, but I don't know where, I mean, it's not online maybe or the anything weird yet. Thing um, is
2: I was talking to the audience afterwards I th- and they, somebody mentioned online. I think it just premiered overseas. Yeah. Like recent, like it actually started here before it started over there, I guess maybe because focus features had it. So yeah, as far as I know, it's not online yet. Okay. So yeah, people, mm. it may be there eventually, but
1: all right. Well, I, it's worth checking out. So that is Brian and Charles. Let I me mean, keep an eye out for it. Um, that should be coming out soon. Or if you live in a bigger city where maybe there are some limited engagement screenings of it might be available to see there as well. True. Okay, Chris, let's take a quick break because we have some news to cover. I've got a lot of news to go over with you. And then I am anxious to, as always hear your recommendation. I need a film to add to my watch list. And Chris Mm -hmm. is normally good to give us one to consider. So we'll be right back with foot candle films here in just a moment.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. We had our reviews in the first half of the show of Thor, Love and Thunder, Mm -hmm. followed by Brian and Charles, and positive reviews on both. You were uh, I, you were more positive on Brian and Charles than I was, but we both still liked it. Uh, you liked it more and found a lot more out of it. Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, I was maybe a little more positive. I don't know. We were maybe. both on the same page. Yeah, I think it's more of a, I went in with very low expectations and True. found them to be better matched than I expected. You went in with higher expectations and found it to be a letdown. Okay. Right. So we kind of met in the middle sure, of that. Sure, sure. But regardless, let's talk. uh, That was all movies that are out now that you can see at your multiplex or maybe eventually soon online. Let's talk about some film news of things coming up that are piquing our interest. And um, all right, let me start with one that is going to be a positive first. Okay. Okay? I'll start with this one first. Sure. Uh, This is our movie news section. So talking about a new, new project coming down the pike. Chris, you are an unabashed fan of the film Parasite. Correct. Yes. yes. Bong uh, Bong Jun Ho. Yes. Uh, that was his last film. Obviously, award winning. Won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, he has been. He's someone who has done a nice variety of different type of films. Mm-hmm. He did the film Snowpiercer. Correct. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Which they've turned into a TV series. i have which into, I've Never watched. Never what?
1: watched either. But I did like the
2: movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. So here's what we've got. We've got a new film uh, that he is working on. And I don't know how much you've heard about this, but I'm just going to give you some of the the breakdown because this, to me, this is not only Chris Fry patented perfect film, but also <laughs> me too. I, I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm generally very excited about this. The announcement came when I read about this uh, Stephen Yun, okay. who you know from uh, Minari, Minari yeah. and also from the Walking Dead TV series, he has been a cast to co-star with a Mr. Robert Pattinson hmm. on this new film, okay. a Bong Joon Ho film. Okay, Okay. so right away, those two, all right, feeling pretty good. Mm -hmm. We're still riding the Batman high for Robert Pattinson. So I'm happy to see him doing another interesting film. And he has been choosing really interesting projects as an actor. So I don't think there would be any surprise that he would obviously jump at the chance to be in a Bong Joon-ho film when given the opportunity. Sure. So here's a few more things about the film to tell you about. Um, it doesn't have a title yet, okay. But it's based on a novel. The novel is called Mickey Seven. Okay. The name Mickey and the number seven. Okay. It is a science fiction story.
2: Yay! Yes, there you go.
1: <laughs> um, and according to the book publisher, it's a high concept cerebral thriller. Now, how much of this he adapts in the movie, we'll see. Sure. But um, it follows the story of an expendable. And that's an, a disposable employee on a human expedition sent to colonize the ice world, Niflim. Okay. But in the story, this disposable employee refuses to let his replacement clone, who's dubbed Mickey 8, mm. take his place.
2: So it's kind of like a never let me go. A little bit of that. There's, yeah. These
1: are employees that they know are going to be. Expendable, but they are cloning them and having replacements kind made. Of like a
2: little bit of Moon, the Duncan Jones film. Yeah, okay. a little bit of that.
1: But it sounds like the conflict is that this one person refuses to let his clone now take his place. Gotcha. Um, now, again, we don't know how much of this is that's, the movie going to Exactly. I agree. <laughs> and I don't know how much of it's going to adapt into the movie. We'll have to see. But that is the next Bong Joon Ho project. Sci fi. Robert Pattinson. Do we have a, Steven Yeun? Is Young. It
2: 2023 or is it still um, a little more ways out?
1: Still a little ways out. Okay. Uh, they don't really say. I think they're just casting it now. Got
2: gotcha.
1: you. Um, I do not see a release date for it. Um, this is all from Deadline Hollywood and gotcha. now from Variety kind of reporting this. Also, here's the rest of the cast, which I think is okay. also good too. Mark Ruffalo is in the movie. <laughs> I like him. Tony Collette is in the film. Hmm. Um,
2: so I guess it will be um, – another so he made oak joe which did have mm-hmm. a lot of english so it sounds like this will be an english film yes okay probably, okay
1: now stephen yun was in oak joe as well so oh, they are true. kind of getting to work together a little bit more on that okay. but um but well, robert he pattinson obviously speak english because yeah. he was
2: in Minari, so yeah okay yeah but
1: robert pattinson yeah. uh it's kind of a first time working with gotcha. in a bong, bong film yeah. so i'm i'm excited yeah i mean too. i I just think this all sounds really really great yeah. <laughs> i like snow poster a lot i mean yeah it was maybe a bit of a letdown and that I, it was such a great concept and such a great idea for a film. Uh, it maybe didn't hit all the marks I was hoping for, but I still really enjoyed it. Sure. Um, but now, you know, after Parasite and I think Bong Joon-ho is at the top of his game right now. So anxious to see what this one He makes interesting goes. films. Mm-hmm. That's Different for sure. Films, yeah. That is for so sure. All right. So that is coming out. Don't know the time frame on that, but we do know it's under, under development. So hopefully we'll hear more about that soon. Okay, Chris, let me throw this out there. We have talked about this in the news before. Okay. This is, uh, we talked about Rob Zombie. Oh, yeah. Mr. Rob Zombie, yes. former musician who has become a filmmaker, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm. But then probably his biggest quote films, I guess, you know, bo- uh, box office wise were the Halloween films he redid. He did a, redid a version of Halloween himself back in, I don't remember what year it did was. Did he do
2: more than one? He
1: did two. He did two. Okay. Did two Halloween films. So you know, in himself, he's he's an eclectic, interesting filmmaker. I'm not a fan of his films. I, I have.
2: I don't think I've seen any of them. I don't. I think, I, think so. I
1: saw his his Halloween. Okay. Wasn't the biggest fan. You know, his films have always gone into definitely more of the violence and, and horror gore, and right? gore side right? of things. Okay. So it was surprising I think when we talked about it in the news item many months ago that he was going to be producing a film adaptation of the TV show The Munsters. Yes, yeah. And it was going to be a PG family-friendly version. Yeah.
2: Okay. I had not heard that So that, that
1: in part. itself that's when I started to think, "Oh, okay, that's kind of interesting because it means taking a classic TV show that has not been redone yet. You know, we've had the Adams family, we've had some other ones in that genre, but Munsters, you know, that was my show growing up. I watched the Munsters <laughs> okay. so much more than I ever saw the Addams I mean, family. It
2: makes sense to have a PG verb because the show, what it's based on, was like that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah.
1: So, um, interesting when it came out and was announced. And I thought that was kind of an interesting direction for him to take, but let's see where it goes. So, the trailer came out.
2: <laughs> and it was nothing but like. Blood splattering everywhere. No. Okay. No, quite the opposite. Okay. Um,
1: I'm going to play the trailer for you. Okay. And I want you to give me your thoughts. I'm not going to preface anything else with it.
2: I can't, I can't wait to see this trailer because normally, yes, you know, I talk about how trailers ruin things or anything, but when you don't, you have no interest in a film and you're like, this is, I'm just, I'm just really curious because I do know Rob zombie. So yeah, I, I, because this can't spoil anything for me. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Okay.
1: Well, here we go. I'm going to play the trailer. For those of you uh, what, uh, just listening on audio, which I think is everybody, because we don't do this as a video show, I do encourage you to go check the trailer out, and then you can hear our commentary immediately afterwards. So here we go.
0: Rob Zombie, the director of House of a Thousand Corpses, Halloween. And the Devil's Rejects brings you the greatest love story ever told.
1: Oh, I, I don't like the sound of that.
2: Because the brain of a super genius child.
1: So, Chris. Wow. <laughs> wow. We just watched the trailer for The Munsters, the new Rob Zombie, written and directed film.
2: And it is a film, not a TV show. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I know the original was a TV show, but he's mm-hmm. making a film out of it. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So your thoughts um, from what you just saw.
2: Well, okay. So I will say from what I recall of the show, I did watch it a little bit. I wasn't like a huge fan. I don't remember all the you know so but I will say the film looks very um it seems like it's capturing the tone, the type of humor, the production values yep. of the show. Which if you're trying to pay homage Awesome. What surprises me is it looks like a TV show and it looks like a TV show that would be on like Nickelodeon in the 80s or like, you know, it's it looks like sound stages and everything. And it it looks like and if that's the aesthetic it's going for, which if it's trying to copy the original, except it's in color as opposed to being in black and white. Cool. But yet to me, it is just very shocking that it's Rob Zombie doing it. Um, It seems like it would be. I would imagine this being done more by like somebody like Tim Burton <laughs> because he has a little bit of the playfulness, and I never think of Rob's Zombie. But, you know, they, they play it up in the trailer. This is from the director of House of a Thousand Corpses, and, all, and you're like, okay. But it, the greatest love story ever told. But it's just completely... The thing is, <laughs> I am still curious about it because I just wonder, will it be entertaining? Now, I, I don't think because it... I think it is only it's probably it's literally probably a kid's movie. Um, So it probably will not entertain me. I probably would not like it. But would kids like it? Maybe, you know, just something goofy with a bunch of people in Halloween costumes and stuff like that. Well, people liked it when it was a black and white TV show. They may like it now. I I don't I don't know. It it seems really odd.
1: I I was shocked at the production quality of this trailer. Now, here's a couple excuses. I mean, excuses. it looks like can,
2: it was shot on, like, iPhones. Exactly. Yeah. I mean,
1: and, and the sound is horrible. Like, the voices all sound like the microphone on an iPhone. Right. I mean, it just was so poorly produced. Now, here's the saving grace for it. If the desire was to be, I want to make this as low production value as possible because I'm trying to ape what I thought the show. Now, granted, I've seen the show. Right. This is not matching the production value of the show. I'm not saying the show, the TV show was like this super high budget production value, but I mean, it was a fine produced piece of TV entertainment at the time. This just looks bad. And I mean, the jokes, the humor in it, none of it works. I mean, Mm -hmm. so again, yeah, I don't know who the audience is for this at this point. I I don't know. It have to
2: be kids. I
1: guess. um, Boy, I just, I mean, I just watched this last night. And I mean, and actually, my family's all in there. We were just kind of watching things. We watched this. and We're all just shocked at, I mean, Chris, okay, you and I see a lot of independent films. We see a yes. lot of low budget films. Yes. This would not have surprised me to come across as a submission from like a, a low budget independent artist who's making a, a, their very first film. And I would say, okay, well, you know, it's got some production issues and quality issues, but I mean, there's something there. This is Rob Zombie, who right. has made four or five movies already, and right. actually has had like movies open in theaters. And right, right. To to see this, I'm I'm shocked. I'm well, really and really like surprised.
2: like the, the fonts that are used, like it's like
1: yeah, like the opening text was just you could go in and drop them into iMovie and do right. that same. I mean, just
2: it looks like it was edited on iMovie. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very surprised. Me too. Now, if the film comes together and it is very much in the style, like meant to be this. Kind of schlocky production, but there's a lot more to it. Great. But I didn't <laughs> see enough in this trailer to make me think that they really had an idea of what they're trying to do here. So.
2: Sure.
1: Anyway, I just thought that was really interesting because <laughs> yeah. I was actually looking forward to seeing this trailer when the film was announced a few oh, months yeah. ago. I'm like, oh, I, I want to see what they do on this. Sure. Sure. And then when sure. I see it. I'm like, this is a joke, right? This is not the right trailer for this movie, but it is. So. Huh. We'll see. Now uh, they don't know quite where this film is going to be shown. They have not announced whether it's going to be a theater distribution, okay. whether it's going to be an online distribution. Uh, my guess is the trailer is not going to help solidify any distribution deals well, anytime soon. Coming out
2: pretty September, so September twenty twenty two. So, but
1: think- you know, I've heard they've said that there's rumors that sometimes Universal was going to release it in theaters, and there was talk about it going to Peacock, and there was okay. talks about Netflix, and nobody knows. So, I don't know. That's okay. a very, very, very interesting. No, sure. Um, okay, so that's that. Uh, <laughs> did you notice uh, Hurley in the film? Jorge Garcia. He was in the film. No. Yep. Hurley from the show Lost.
2: Which uh, uh, was he
1: doing? He was doing? the one that greeted uh, the the the, the uh, Lily Munster at the door, and then and, the, and then he got thrown out by okay. Herman Munster. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was okay. Jorge he Garcia. Okay. Um, so, and the person playing uh, Lily Munster, the the it's future wife, wife right? is Sherry Moon Zombie. Okay. That's Rob Zombie's wife. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, Chris, I got one more for you. Okay. And this is really this one is a bonus one. Okay. Because I'm making up for the fact that I don't have a film recommendation this week. Got you. Okay. This is a uh, we started out the show talking about Marvel movies with Thor: Love and Thunder review, so I'm going to end the show with some rumors that I think are intriguing about an upcoming Marvel movie. And I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. This is the segment where we like, to, I like to kind of throw out rumored casting notes and say, does this casting, would this work for this particular project? Okay. Um, Marvel has been teasing a fantastic four movie
2: for right. some time now. Right, right.
1: There's been four, Three made, well, technically four, if you count the Roger Corman version from the 90s that nobody's ever seen, very (laughs) few people have seen. There have been three, like, actual theatrical Fantastic Four movies. None of the three of them did really well. In fact, the last one that came out um, bombed really, really bad. That was the one by uh, Josh Trank. Yes. uh, Did, like savaged by critics and bombed at the box office. And so I think everybody's kind of left that franchise alone for a long time, but now Marvel has kind of already announced. Yes, we will be making a fantastic four movie in our Marvel universe. <laughs> Dr. Strange. We saw the the second Dr. Strange movie, the multi multiverse of madness had a cameo by somebody that's affiliated with the fantastic four that got people really excited. Like, Oh, okay. And so then- <laughs> now, now they're going to do it. Well, um, there have been a lot of rumors just this past couple of days about okay. this new sh- this new movie. And they they have
2: announced a cast finally? No. no. Okay.
1: But there have been rumors going crazy about it. Got gotcha. you. Both casting and director.
2: Well, I'll just go ahead and say I am not in it. So I know people okay. are probably Good. excited well, cross, about that, but I'm not Cross in it.
1: Chris Fry off the list. Nope. Chris Fry will not be playing the thing right. in uh <laughs> in the Fantastic Four movie.
2: I still encourage you to go see it if you're interested, Right. I'm not going to be in it.
1: Um So let's let's talk director first. Sure. The name that has been batted around in the rumor circles, which I think are completely fabricated and not real, <laughs> Steven Spielberg.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: supposedly. Now, again,
2: now the, please preface You would have said Martin Scorsese, <clears throat> that might have surprised me a little bit. Sure, more. yeah, <laughs> but um, Steven Spielberg still kind of surprised. These are
1: all rumors that uh, most of these rumors have already been shot down. But that was the buzz for several days: is that Marvel had approached Steven Spielberg about directing the Fantastic Four movie. <clears throat> Me, I'm on board with that. If it was true. sure,
2: sure. Because I,
1: think, I do think obviously, you know, Spielberg can do sci-fi. He can do yeah. visual effects. He can, he can do big
2: budget films. And obviously.
1: he, I, I, some of my favorite Spielberg work is when he really digs into family dynamics. Right? Close Encounters, mm-hmm. E.T. Sure. Some of these movies where you really get to kind of see a family dynamic. Well, the Fantastic Four is a family. Right. So that's kind of exciting. That would be a pretty good fit. I would actually be completely on board with that if that happened. It would be a huge win for Marvel if they got it too. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I don't
1: think it's going to happen. So go ahead and just wipe that out. Okay. Sure. But now for the casting side of things, um, I've seen like four different casting models of like the people that they're talking about playing these roles. Okay. And uh, some of them are very wild and speculative and I can't see working. But there is a there is a casting rumor I saw a, a threesome anyway of the four. And I'm like, I'm completely on board. If this is the cast for these three characters of the Fantastic Four, count me in. <laughs> okay. And then if it's these three directed by Steven Spielberg in a movie, man, just AMC, go ahead and sell me a ticket now. I'll go ahead and I'm on board. Okay. So here was the rumored cast that okay. some website put out that sure. I feel like is a really, really good match for him.
2: Okay.
1: Um, Reed Richards is the... Kind of the patriarch, the scientist, the smartest man in the world, uh, as one of the members of the Fantastic Four, played by Jamie Dornan. Okay? Jamie Dornan, uh, you know, from Belfast, and he was the 50 shades of gray. I could totally see it. I could see him working. Reed is a very practical, serious person, not always necessarily an emotional person, uh, more of that scientific mind. I I could see Jamie Dornan playing that. Sure. That'd be okay. I can see that. Sue Storm is his wife, and gotcha. also a member of the Fantastic Four, uh, Amanda Seafried. Okay. I'm on board with that. I like her a lot. She's a very good actress. I think that could totally work. Here's my favorite, though. <laughs> Johnny Storm is kind of the, is the younger brother of Sue Storm. He's a playboy. He's a, kind of a hothead. Race car driver? Yeah. I okay. think in some iterations of the story, he's been a race car driver. Um, but he is kind of the... A little obnoxious. He's a, a hothead. He's a hothead. <laughs> See what I did there? He turns into the human torch. Right. Character. Um, Joe Curie, who is Steve oh, from wow. Stranger Things.
2: That's that's inspired casting. I, I love think. it. I yeah. think that's great. That's inspired casting.
1: If you tell me those three get cast, and you've got Steven Spielberg directing this movie, it could be a very, very interesting thing. Now, I've heard a lot of other casting options, but those are the three that I saw, and I'm like, Yep. I could totally see it. I can yeah. see this working. Yeah, Jamie Dornan is not someone I've seen do a lot of expressive acting. Uh, I, I, his roles have been fairly straight and narrow characters. True. And again, I think that fits for this character in this movie. Um, you want someone that is very focused on the logic, focused on the science, but you know, um, but still a little so bit of a father figure. No, for
2: no casting for Ben Grimm. No, mm. not that I've
1: seen um, who
2: would you cast, Alan? The
1: only thing I saw, which does not match uh, age-wise, because I think they are looking for people in their 20s to 30s okay. to play this. But one name I heard that I thought would be great, but it doesn't fit with the, the age of this, because these are all supposed to be contemporaries with one another age-wise, who are pretty close, was um, also from Stranger Things, Hopper. Uh, what's his name?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, I know the guy. I can't. um <laughs> can't think of his name
1: i don't have it pulled up in front of but me. another I the actor name.
2: you're referring to yeah no that that seems right but you're saying he would be too old he's too old because gotcha.
1: he's got to be like um he's got to be the best friend of reed richard's like they went mm. to mili- they went in the military together they went okay. to the air force together um it doesn't work you know i think there's such a age gap i feel like right but maybe i'm wrong i don't know maybe maybe he can play a little younger but he would be a good big Ben Grimm. He tried to be Hellboy in the Hellboy movie, and I heard that was kind of a
2: David Harbor.
1: David Harbor. Okay, that's it. I never saw his version of Hellboy. I heard it was not good, but I don't think it's because of him. No, no. I like him in Stranger Things sure. and other things I've seen him in. So he was good as the uh, in Black Widow as. Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, so could they? I guess they could do that cast because it's still the MCU. Oh, that's MCU. right. I forgot Some he's already in would- there. But, but they've no, done that would, before. They've had
1: characters it. play multiple people in the okay. in the MCU before. So it could happen. Cool. Anyway, I am – this is what you – know, Chris, I <laughs> I lead a pretty busy life. I work a lot. I, you know, have my family. I'm, I'm, I'm always doing something. Sure. But when I need to unwind, reading Fantastic Forecasting Rumors is kind of my <laughs> – is kind of my jam right now. So cool. I'm kind of into it. Awesome. I think it's just perfect because it's a 4 sum of characters that are very iconic – They've been around since the 60s, you know, when they were introduced in a comic book. They've just never hit the films quite right to get this character and the stories right. So I'm just intrigued by this idea of trying to, how do you cast this exact foursome to make this work and then get the right director on board and just make a really great science fiction, family-based movie um, for this universe. And I can't wait to see what they do. Okay, Chris. That's all the news I've got. Okay. That's Good. all the productions I'm following. That's all the things I'm interested in at the moment. Bong Joon-ho, very excited. Oh, yes. Monsters, not very excited after that trailer, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, and then the Fantastic Four, it's all rumors right now. Sure. I could come back next episode and say, forget everything I just said. <laughs> all of that was trash. Uh, nothing at all was, was, was real. And they go a completely different direction. Yeah. But we are now to the point of the show, Chris, where we've done our news, we've done our reviews, it's time for the recommendations. Now, normally, you and I both share a recommendation of a film we think people ought to check out uh, something that we've recently just caught back up with, or maybe got to see for the first time. And we want to share, but it has to be a film or something you can view online. So that way, people listening to this show, the minute they turn off their podcast player, they could actually go and watch this film if they choose to. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and get mine out of the way because I don't really have a film gotcha. review. I mean, unfortunately, outside of the films we review in the show, and then I have been way too wrapped up in some episodic TV series lately that uh, fair enough. I don't have a good film to review. I've seen a couple films, but it's not ones I would review um, <laughs> okay. or, or, or recommend to the audience. So I'm going to give a little bit of a pass. I'll just throw in as a quick note because it's fresh on the brain. Um, if anybody has not seen the show Succession on HBO. I think they just finished their third season recently. I am going back and catching up. I have never watched the show until now. Uh, I am having a real thrill watching it. It is a fun, fun show. Well, yeah, fun, maybe the, not the best word for it. It is a very, uh,
2: it's a drama. So it's a
1: drama with enough comedy in it to oh, keep okay.
2: it interesting. I wasn't there was any comedy in it. So oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, there's okay. definitely, okay. It's,
1: it's a little bordering on satirical, oh, Okay. but not quite, but, okay. Just enough to, to keep it entertaining. Uh, I do think it's a really good show. So Secession on HBO, I do think is worth checking out. Um, it's uh, uh, Brian Cox as kind of the patriarch of a large media conglomerate company with four children that are all vying for who will be the face of the company. Uh, the show starts out, and I'm not spoiling, the show starts out just in the first couple episodes where he is basically on a deathbed. And you think that the show is going to be just all about these four uh, children fighting it out to see who's controlling the company.
2: Gotcha. Well,
1: lo and behold, within just a couple episodes, he's actually comes back around and he is back and active in the company. Mm -hmm. And that to me creates even more dynamics because here you had these kids who got pitted against each other to find out who was going to be leading the business. And then the father is now back in the picture and running the business, but you still have all this interesting dynamics going on. It just takes off from there, and uh, so it's a really well-made show. Adam McKay and Will Ferrell are executive producers, which I did not realize until you watched the credits <laughs> for the first time. Interesting. Um, so it's it's a drama primarily, but it has enough comedy to it um, to make it a really fun watch. So uh, that's uh, Secession. I'm impressed with the show so far. Been enjoying it. Okay. But Chris, let's do an, an actual film recommendation from you, if we could. Sure. What what film are you recommending we check out uh, after this episode? So
2: I'm going to recommend a film from 2022. So it's a current, it's playing on Hulu. It's called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand by uh, director Sophie Hyde. And uh, it stars Emma Thompson as Nancy Stokes. Who, this I'm reading the description direct from Letterboxd. So, uh, but uh, Nancy Stokes, who doesn't know good sex, whatever it may be, Nancy, a retired school teacher, is pretty sure she has never had it, but she is determined to finally do something about that. She even has a plan, it involves an anonymous hotel room and a young sex worker who calls himself Leo Grand. So, <clears throat> an interesting premise, especially for a movie that has Emma Thompson in it. Mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a movie she would normally be in. Um, it is, for the most part, um, just those two actors, Emma Thompson and Leo Grand is played by Daryl McCormick, but they're... I mean, you, you know, Emma Thompson, duh, she's a good actress. I was not aware of Daryl McCormick. He's been in some other things, but this is the first time I really had seen him, and the way they play off each other and the dialogue... Because for the most part it is them having interactions in a hotel room and talking about their lives who they are as people and the film is 97 minutes but and it it moves pretty quickly and um it was surprising some of the emotional beats they're able to to hit with the mm. film so um and I you know we're only in uh, July but I will say Emma Thompson yeah she's still got it mm. <laughs> um and because this is such a like I mean Grant without the guy playing Leah Grant, I don't think the film would work, but without her, like you just, I can't imagine anybody else doing that role because it's such a nuanced performance and got to hit all these different notes. Like I'm crossed. My fingers are crossed for her to at least land an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I don't know if she will, but I think it's, it's definitely cause it's such an independent film. Um, right. yeah, you know, it's on Hulu so people right. can see it, but yeah. like, I don't know if it'll have the momentum to get the recognition it should, but um I'll be one of the critics at the end of the year that'll mention the movie and people will be like, What? What what movie mm-hmm. are you talking about? <laughs> but uh good luck to you, Leo Grand. That's uh, good
1: luck to you, Leo Grand. On Hulu. Yes. Okay. Uh Emma Thompson. Yeah, I've heard some really good things about the film. It's on my watch list. I have not had a chance to see it, but um glad to hear that you are recommending it as mm-hmm. something uh, to check out for sure. I think that's great. Um well, again, sorry, I don't have one to share. Again, I've seen some films, but not anything I feel well, like actually, I should recommend. Your
2: recommendation of Succession makes me think it's time for me to check it out because the fact that there is some humor in it, I was actually steering away from it just because it looked extremely serious and looked oh. like it wasn't going to be an enjoyable watch. But you said there's enough in there. Oh, no, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that actually makes me want to check it out. And there Let's are –
1: uh, yes. yeah. I, I would say, yeah, it does get serious at times, but it's it's never – it's not a depressing show. Okay. Not, it doesn't go too deep on the drama. It is kept things. I, I just think the whole family dynamics are entertaining in themselves. And, uh, um, uh, is it Culkin, which, uh,
2: not Macaulay, not
1: Macaulay Culkin, but his brother, um, is it Rory? Rory Culkin, maybe. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I can't, remember, <laughs> I can't remember my Culkin brother names, but he is one of the, the children okay. in the film and or in the show. And he's, he's, uh, very good as well. Okay. Um, Sarah Snook as uh, one of the children. And then, gosh, I'm pulling up now because, again, IMDb is my best friend here. Sure. Um, uh, Kiernan. Kieran. Kieran Culkin. Okay. Is it? Kieran Culkin is the – plays Roman. Sarah Snook as Shiv. Jeremy Strong is Kendall. So that's the three of the four. And then Alan Ruck, you may remember from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Bueller. Off as Cameron. Gotcha. is uh, Connor, the oldest of the four children. Huh. And then you've got Nicholas Braun, which I'll just go ahead and tell you. Uh, this is an actor I think um, we need to keep our eyes on. Nicholas Braun plays Greg, cousin Greg. Okay. And um, has
2: he been in other stuff or this is one of his, first I mean, things?
1: probably so, but I've never seen him in okay. anything before. Gotcha. He is very entertaining in this, uh, show. Okay. his character. Cool. And then Matthew McFadden, who is a British actor that plays Tom, a, uh, uh, In a relationship with one of the with the daughter, Sarah Snooks character. Anyway, I've talked a lot about this show now, but I'm just saying it's a fun (laughs) show. It is the show that when I come home after work and uh, everything's settled in the house and dinner's done and all that. This is what my wife and I say. Oh, it's time for secession, right? And that's what we do now. So we watch this show. So I think it's a a high recommendation for me so far. I'm enjoying it very much. Okay, Chris. Well, I think we are done with our show for today. Thor Love and Thunder. Um, mild recommendation from both of us. Um, then we've got, uh, Brian and Charles, a recommendation from both. Chris is a little higher on it, but still a a pleasant and engaging, entertaining film. Then we had some great news on things like the Munsters. We had some news on Bong Joon-ho. We had some news on the fantastic forecasting. And then Chris's recommendation of good luck to you, Leo Grand on Hulu. So Chris, if anybody has any comments, questions, feedback for us on anything we talked about, maybe they want to show me an alternate cut of that Munsters trailer that's going to make <laughs> me feel better about this film. Right. Um, how do they get that to us?
2: You can somehow find that information and send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Footcandle Al and I are also on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing Do us a favor. If you uh, like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on. It'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. Last but not least, Alan mentioned in the introduction, but the 2022 Foot Candle Film Festival will be held this year, the 21st to the 25th in Hickory, North Carolina. Don't miss it. We'd love to see you there.
1: Yeah. So by the time this episode is out, we should have everything announced on the website as far as uh, films. As far as tickets availability and so forth, again, September 21st through the 25th is our Foot Candle Film Festival. We're very excited about this year's selections and about the venue and about the uh, format and everything else. So definitely uh, once this this episode goes live, I'd encourage you to go to our website, footcandlefilmfestival.com to get more information about the festival. And uh, we hope to see you in Western North Carolina in uh, September. So that'd be great. All right, Chris. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Or, yeah, listening. I got to remember, we're not a video show, so <laughs> nobody can watch this. It's just listening. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line and hopefully at the festival.
0: Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community.